I am, I'm really thankful to teach the Bible. I say this a lot, but I, I really, it is, it is work. It is true. It's work. And it takes uh, quite a few hours. I don't track my hours. But it's also a deal where, man, if you took that away from me, I would, I'd be a little scared to take that kind of uh, calling or work away because it's been so good to study. Um, and it's been so good to make me just realize how inadequate I am as a Bible teacher. But it's not to say I don't feel called to it or shouldn't be up here. It's like, man, it's just the depths of God's word are. Like, I think we could all agree. It's, it's, it's far deeper than we could ever imagine. You, you understand probably more than you ever have at this point in your life right now. Understand more scripture. But it is a deal. When you start to understand God more, you start to understand how little you actually know. So as you understand more, you actually uncover that the depths are far deeper than I ever imagined. And that's how I feel. And especially as we start a new study in the book of Hebrews, it is a matter of like, oh, it's 13 chapters, right? You should be able to make some sense of 13 simple chapters. It's a unique book in scripture. But as I read through it this week, it's just like, wow, <laughs> this seems like it could be a bad idea. I don't believe it was a bad idea. Uh, but wow, I do feel the inadequacy of trying to understand God's word, but I'm excited to dive into it with you. I can't see uh, yet even how I will teach when it's my turn to teach through it. I can't see how I make sense of it all right now as I've read through it this week. Um, but I'm excited, and I think that's a good reason to go through it together. Um, I would ask you to consider what you know of the book of Hebrews. And odds are you probably be like, oh, I'm glad you're not calling me up here and peppering me with those questions because you probably are like, not a lot. And that's okay. Some of you might have some recollection. It's probably most famously known for Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, as we were often taught if you were spending any time in Sunday school. The hall of faith where it just lists example after example from the Old Testament of in faithfulness, they did this, and faithfulness, and faithfulness, and faithfulness, and emphasizing that, hey, what are we called to have? It is faith. That's it. But faith in what? A lot of people have faith in things that don't last. Faith in uh, faith in the chiefs, right? Uh, faith in a, uh, a child to do a good work and represent your family. Well, oh, that can go poorly. A faith in a spouse. It's like they fail us often. Uh, a faith in Jesus Christ. The Son of God, as we'll see, is a faith that cannot be shaken because the object of that faith does not move, is consistent through everything. So we'll dig into that. Um, I, I really enjoy connecting all we do to the scarce world that we live in. So you're feeling scarcity right now. Whatever the week could help for you, you feel like, oh, there were some things that were lacking that didn't go the way I would have like them to go. So a lot of that is found in scarcity where there just wasn't enough. So people had to move and work together just to try to get things done when we know there's just not enough. We don't live in an age of abundance. The fall has made like things are scarce. Um, we, we scratch and claw just to get something from the ground, right? In whatever figurative terms of our life and work that means, whether it's raising children, whether it's uh, working in as a pharmacist, working as a designer, uh, working as a consultant or advisor or a teacher or a builder, whatever that looks like, um, we are just scratching for enough. And that lack of physical things, of 
uh, maybe it's emotional and spiritual things, it's probably put some burdens on you this week. Like, oh, I don't, I can't wait for heaven, a lot of us say, because then this will pass away and like all these troubles, this current lack of things, whatever I feel like I need, it will go away. Um, but I would, I would say, yes, there's absolutely some to look forward to, but let's not lose sight of the fact that even now, Christ has given us access to all things. And I think Hebrews is going to show us that as we dig in to chapter 1. Through Christ, all things have been given to us. So I would love for you to, a lot of people don't like, um, they don't like hard questions, understandably so. I'm not thrilled with them either. A lot of people say, I ask a lot of weird, crazy questions. So it's not my goal to be out, uh, known as a question asker. Like You're going to ask weird or deep questions fast. But what I do know, and many times I've done that to you, it's about saying, let's get real for a second, because otherwise we waste a lot of our time if it just goes on the shallow basis of weather or sports. Like, let's get real. Like, how are things really? How do you feel if this happened, if that happened? Because then that gives us a look into, do you believe you have access to all things through Christ? Or is there um, an ability to hone the focus in on the fullness, the richness, the depths of the Son of God given to us, now revealed to us in the Spirit, that can even shine light on these dark areas are like, I, I'm not, it's not heaven. It's not his kingdom in full. And that's right. That's true. But I think he has glimpses and doses of the kingdom to pour on us right now. And so I'm excited to read um, into Hebrews and look at that together because I think it does. It satisfies the soul, Christ satisfies the soul. Looking into scriptures that magnify Christ, satisfy the soul. Any lack that you feel like you have. Um, Eric, do you feel like reading Hebrews for me today? Okay, great. Um, I have the words up here along with her. Um, so Hebrews chapter 1, all of it, all 14 verses of it today. Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in his last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and yet holds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited. Is more excellent than him. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels wings and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne of God is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of wickedness, and of love, righteousness, and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you all with the oil of brightness beyond the curtain And you, Lord, lay the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels have the other said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
and may not all ministering spirits sent out to serve in the same place the archer of their salvation. Thank you, Erica. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book uh, written to the Hebrews, um, to Jewish Christ believers long ago that we can glean from for your truth today. Help us understand. Give us your spirit to help us understand and illuminate your glory for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the book of Hebrews has an anonymous author. We don't know. There's plenty of research and writings on speculation about who the author is. But honestly, um, and Alistair Begg said that um, when he studied Hebrews, he's like, seems like wasted time if God didn't want to give it, right? So just be satisfied. We don't know who it is, which presented a lot of challenges to the early church when they're saying, what are our scriptures? What are the ones that we feel like God has given us to trust and that will endure and persevere? And so without uh, knowing the author in, in the first few centuries, this one was a little slower, according to early church councils, to be included consistently in the what they call the canonization. That became scripture, the Bible as we know it. Um, however, the way that the fruit of this book, the way it happened in the early church, really got caused those churches, the way it was used in producing a fruit in the churches in which these words were read and shared, they said, this is almost just marvel. This is a work of God. Even though we cannot verify the exact source, source, we believe this book is illuminating God's glory to us, illuminating Christ to us. And so now we have it as a perseverant book in scripture that we study today and is used as the common canon for Christian scripture. And so we study it even though we don't know the author for sure. Um, you can have fun with that on your own if you'd like, but we won't spend any more time on that today. Um, who was the audience? Well, like we see, it's written to Hebrews, to Jews, Christ followers, um, and actually Christ followers who particularly were under quite a bit of persecution uh, later on in the book, and I might uh, draw your attention to this later, in Hebrews chapter 10, you see what the audience was enduring. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. So a perseverance for the church, we find, is necessary. We're going to see this a lot come up throughout the book of Hebrews. It's a 13-chapter book. Originally, I had thought that we'll take 13 weeks and we'll get through it. I cannot guarantee that anymore. Because as I read it, it's like, whoa, that seems tough because some of the chapters are tough. And we'll see what the other Bible teachers that we trust, um, how they approach it as well. What I would ask you to do is, um, as a church body, as we study this together, um, not just chapter one, right? And you may miss other weeks. Um, we'll always keep you posted with either my teachings online. Um, we, we post those as a podcast. Or we'll post whatever teachers we listen to when I'm not teaching on our Facebook page. But let's commit to this together. And I would say, what do we approach this with? Approach the book of Hebrews as we would approach all of scripture with humility. 
Humility of saying, there is something for me to know here. Something in this time, in this place, for me to have God's character, his glory revealed to me. And after those verses in chapter 10, to realize that you probably have considered yourself suffering in a variety of ways recently. I could, you know, I can't even list all the ways that you might feel you're suffering. We could take some glimpse of even from the prayer request and, and mentioned in Hebrews 10, you were partnered with, sometimes you suffered, sometimes you're partnered with those who are suffering. And either way, we feel the weight. There is something that releases every single weight. The weights of your past, the weights of your presence, and the weight and the pressure that is awaiting all of us in the future. So much so that like this country, we don't know what the United States of America can become. We don't know what the future holds. We know 2020 was crazy and it corresponded with election year. And we told you like this is a church that's like, you'd be foolish not to be ready for a little more disruption in the news cycle in 2024. And it might actually come home to roost in the daily decisions of your life as a family or as an employer. But the reality is, all of that is too shallow a way to view the world according to what we read here in Scripture. And you know, it's not like, well, this author didn't understand. It was 2,000 years ago. Look at what they endured 2,000 years ago. Is it really not able to speak to your pain and your weight and your pressure today? Like, it does speak to mine. And it puts it in perspective. And it leads me unto confidence, not in myself, but in Christ. So that's why I'm excited in Hebrews. So approach the book of Hebrews with humility, prayerfulness, which I, I struggle with at times, but if I can just slow down, pray and humble myself before God's word, before God himself, then I think this book is going to speak um, wonders to us. Um, and the wonders are stated even there in the first three verses. In uh, chap uh, chapter 1, verse 3, this is something worth, if you could put it on repeat as a mantra, um, this would be so worth it. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We still, I still look at scripture like, ah, I still don't understand what God is like fully. I, I'm trying to understand how much quicker should I be in my role as a Christ follower, as a teacher of his word, just to hang on to when in doubt, focus on what? The exact imprint we have both in history and in spirit, the son of God, who is the exact imprint of the father's nature. We wonder what God is like. We have a very accurate record of what God is like. Him breathing the oxygen we breathe and walking the grounds that we walk. Jesus is what God is like because Jesus is God. But he's also distinct from God. And this isn't going to get into the Trinity, but he's distinct from the Father. He is the Son, but he is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. And I like the word that they chose to translate in there, radiance. There's a couple things that radiate in our life, um, they're usually equated with a lot of power, right? The heat radiators of our time, radiating heat. So powerful that heat's just, it's hitting people that don't even have direct contact with it. The sun and the stars, they radiate their light and their heat in our solar system and beyond and galaxies beyond. 
And so radiant of Christ, a, a, a being so powerful that just encountering him indirectly starts to have an impact on you, let alone being directly transformed by his sacrifice and by his resurrection. To have the Son of God to participate in the radiance of his glory by coming near him and hopefully by believing in him changes everything. And he is one that does not lack power. Um, he not only radiates the glory of God, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There are things that seem impossible. I admit my friend Scott and Kelly, um, it looks like Kelly's time's drawn near as far as her living body. I, um, I don't have hope that ALS will be healed in her. You've seen the slow deterioration of her brain. I, I don't have hope. With a lot of cancer, with Lily Brasco, right? There's a lot of hope of great treatment that we believe God by his grace is planted in the minds and hearts of doctors and researchers in our age and ages before us. And we have hope that cancer can be healed. But also, I lack hope that something like ALS can be healed because there's just such, there's no evidence of it that I'm aware of. And so I doubt God's glory. That's me confessing. I doubt God's universal power upholding things by his word. Does that mean of like, well, it's unfaithful. I better start believing that Kelly Horton could be healed and restored. I don't believe that. Mostly because I believe God will be glorified in her body being put to rest. I believe he will have a profound glory. I think it has been so beautiful to witness the Horton families who profess a faith in Christ to watch the Horton family move faithfully in the step-by-step -step daily grind of caring for a family member who is slowly dying before their eyes. And I've seen God's glory, as, as Scott says, this is like hell on earth, but God is still in control and God is good. And so God, in that, I have witnessed God's glory. And I've told Scott so much, like, Scott, I've seen God in a different way because of the way you have said he has power, even as I watch and have to slowly say goodbye to my wife, to my spouse. God has glory even in those situations. And maybe especially in those situations. Said I, I told the kids, right, we love it when we get to feel glory. They're like, this feels good. This makes my eyes wide open. This makes my heart beat a little faster. It's fun. It's fun to go win. It's fun to go on an adventure. It's fun to explore. It's fun to laugh. But sometimes those things, and in, in when they, we get so used to them, they actually steal our ability to, I think, focus back on the power of Christ. And it's when we are weak, when his power is made perfect within us, Paul said. So to actually get excited about the pain and the pressure we would be put under, so that maybe we get a clear picture that this man who walked this earth is actually the imprint of God and his glory and is actually upholding all things no matter what. And that's exciting to me. And it makes me less afraid for the own, my own pain to go through, and then like to look at Billy and say, I do hope you will go through pain and pressure because I hope you get to know this Redeemer, this Savior, the radiance of the Father that is shown to us in him. A lot of Hebrews chapter 1, going back to um, that, that whole chapter, you say, well, those first few verses are so powerful. God speaking through prophets, and then verse 2, so powerful. But in the last days, we don't need... 
the prophet. The prophets were fantastic, and we gleaned so much for him. But it was all leading. I guess we should. I was like thinking of it as a funnel, but let's point it upwards. It was all leading to Christ. The prophets gave us a glimpse of the mystery. But how fortunate are we? How blessed are we that we actually know what that mystery was, and we don't have to rely on the prophets anymore. That we actually have Jesus, the Son Himself speaking on behalf of God and hanging on to his words, which are well recorded and documented for us in Scripture and in the Gospels in particular, who appointed the heir of all things. So the heir we often think about as someone who's like, one died, therefore the next will heir. But the wonder of Jesus as an heir is that God does not die. He has all things under his dominion, but now has also given them to Christ as an heir. And so he's still fully in control, We don't just like, well, he's gone, but at least we enjoy what he gave. He's still there. The creator is still on his throne. And yet now Jesus gets to administrate really all of that creation to us because he was there in creation. And he's the heir of all things. And it goes back to the question beginning, what do you lack? Because then we, as believers in faithfulness in Christ, says now we have become heirs with Christ. So as much as he's the heir of all things, by faith in him, as we'll see in the rest of this book, you have access to literally all things. All things. Nothing you lack. So we were talking about church and the purpose of church. Um, what the church is powerful for in Sunday school. When we look back the last couple of weeks, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg. I think one of the best things this church can do is say, what's got you down? What do you lack? It's a really powerful question. What do you lack in this moment? And again, the circumstances of you and what you find yourself in could be various and vast, but a question, hey, in this moment, in this scenario, in this situation, what do you lack? And there could be a variety of practical answers that come through in asking a friend, like, there's trouble at work. Okay, so what do you lack in that? And it would be good to actually listen to the practical uh, things of that. But the church, your church, is meant to bring us back to these scriptures, which say, as heirs of Christ, the ultimate answer to that question, we lack nothing. Nothing. There is nothing we lack to walk our way through this world that is not the kingdom come by being heirs of Christ, by faith in Christ. If faith has been awakened within you, if faith has been planted in your heart, you lack nothing. So I would ask you to say this with me, three words. I lack nothing. Go ahead. I lack nothing. And it does need to be followed, though, within Christ. I lack nothing. He's the heir of all things. He created the world. And then we looked at verse 3, which I think a beautiful verse. Then the rest of the next like 10 to 11 verses go through this really interesting dialogue. Here in the intro to the, this book of angels, right? And if you're like me, like, yeah, this is kind of curious talk. And it, it does, it made me ask the question a lot this week and got some different perspectives of what did this audience really view of angels? And you might ask yourself, what do you do with angels? What do you believe about angels? What do you expect from angels? We can tell from this immediate grappling with this idea that Jesus is superior to angels, that there was some, some dependence upon their role in our spiritual, in, in this audience's spiritual life, and you know, we we've talked about it. Um, something very common in our age is the thought of a guardian angel, 
and there's scriptures that point to like angels do protect specifically children. And that's very reassuring and comforting to see an angel, something invisible and powerful and supernatural, protecting our kids. I think we'd all be like, yes, that sounds great because we're scared for our kids in a, a wild and dangerous world. Um, but I, I don't have time to give you an exhaustive study of angels. But what I would like to do is a um, referencing gotquestions.org, which has often been a really powerful resource. I would just like to read a, a quick, a few paragraphs of background on angels in Scripture. Only three angels are identified by name in the Bible. Gabriel, Michael the archangel, and Lucifer the fallen angel. Yet angelic beings are mentioned at least 273 times in 34 books of the Bible. While we don't know exactly how many angels there are, we do know that from Scripture that an exceedingly large number of angels exist. The book of Hebrews describes a multitude of angels in heaven that are too great to count. Um, from Hebrews chapter 12, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Other Bible translations call it innumerable, myriads, and thousands upon thousands to quantify an enormous throne of angels. The impressive picture expands in the book of Revelation, which, quote, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne of the living creature and the elders. Other Bible versions use myriads of myriads, and even millions, here to express how many angels there are in heaven. While the Bible leaves a precise number of angels unspecified, some believe there could be as many angels in existence as the total number of humans in all of history. This theory is based off of Matthew 18, when Jesus says, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. It seems to suggest that individual people, or at least children, have guardian angels to protect them. It's possible, though, Jesus, that was speaking here only in general terms regarding the function of angels as protectors of children. In any case, Scripture is clear that angels do guard and protect human beings. The few Scripture references. The Bible describes different classifications of angels. Some, the cherubim and the seraphim, are described as winged creatures. Cherubim primarily, uh, excuse me, uh, primarily attend the throne of God as guards, while it seems the seraphim attend his throne by offering worship and praise. The Bible speaks of angels' light and fallen angels. Angels perform different tasks in the Bible. Some angels are God's messengers, others' servants. Watcher angels are mentioned in the book of Daniel. Angels are often described as military hosts of the celestial armies. Other times, angels are called sons of the mighty or sons of God. A few passages of Scripture describe angels as stars. The idea of stars may give us our best clue as to how many angels there are. If angels are like stars in heaven, there are too many to count. Moses says in Deuteronomy 33, the Lord came back to speak to him from Sinai with myriads of holy ones or angels. How many are the myriads? The primary definition of myriad is an adjective is innumerable or countless. Tens of thousands of thousands of thousands. Clearly the writer has trouble even coming close to estimating the number of angels in existence. And so you see a lot of those Old Testament references. There is supernatural powers and authority that exist that we cannot yet see. And God created them all. And he's in power of them all. His word holds not together our creation, holds even those supernatural creations together. And we, we get glimpses of heaven that it's, we, we find like, hey, I'm either in Christ or I'm out. I believe in him or I don't. Therefore, I have salvation or I don't. But the reality is once we find salvation, we are now introduced to a kingdom that seems more dynamic than we can imagine, including hierarchies, including different roles, different types of creatures. It's exciting to think about, but also that uncertainty leads us to fear. 
So where does that leave us? With a whole world that seems more dynamic than we could ever imagine. You look, read the book of Revelation. You think you understand what that means? You think there's some dynamism in the kingdom of God? Oh, you bet there is. So where does that leave us? Exactly where Hebrews puts us. With the focus on the one thing we can understand and see so clearly and so truly. Jesus, the Son of God, who is the full imprint of the Father. How wonderful to get the kingdom of God and all its dynamism. Exciting that we couldn't understand it so quickly because how good would it be if my finite man could make total sense of it right away. It's exciting that I don't understand it. But it's scary. But my fears are meet their end in the one who's the heir of all things who has shared with me now his inheritance, imputed his righteousness to me through all that he accomplished through his life, perfection, fulfillment of the law, and sacrifice on the cross. So that is what Hebrews ultimately is all about. Um, but you do get these glimpses of, but there's something more to this kingdom. I hope those something more that I don't, I can't explain angels to you. You saw a great uh, explanation there in a few paragraphs from a study of scripture that was pretty intense. But in that, we don't have to fear. We can celebrate that there's a dynamic kingdom that has been put so clearly as have faith in the one he sent. Um, I also can't neglect to mention the road to Emmaus um, when we examine Hebrews. And even as those all those Old, scripts, Old Testament scriptures that are referenced in verse 1. And Jesus, when he, after he rose from the dead, he's walking with two apostles on the road to Emmaus. And he walks with them. And they say, have you not heard about all that's happening? And Jesus explains to them how he is a complete fulfillment. He opens their eyes to the Old Testament scriptures. If you go back and reference all of those Old Testament scriptures in chapter 1 of Hebrew, there's one thing I think you'll find. Is you'll go back and read some of those Psalms that were referenced. And you'll be like, hmm, I did not realize that I was talking about Jesus. And even as you read some of the context around it, you'll be like, nope, I would not have pulled Jesus out of that. But the problem with my, and that's where I ended up, the problem with that is to forget exactly what Jesus said to those two apostles. All of it is about me. Every part of it. When it seemingly doesn't seem about me. When it repeats some of the um, really tough verses about how the Israelites cleansed the land of Canaan when they were entering the promised land. Even that, we're like, well, let's not touch that. Like, Let's not be afraid because Jesus said it is about me. It is about him. So instead of saying, well, let's just leave that for another time. Even the Psalms is sometimes like, I don't know. Read the Old Testament with the lens of the Son of God, saying that he promises he is in them all. In the fall, our plan is to start into the Old Testament through the Gospel Project again. And the Gospel Project does a pretty good job of saying, this is Christ. Christ is here. Yes, he doesn't come in bodily form until the New Testament, but he's there in the old. And so um, as you go back and you read Hebrews and you look up some of those scriptures, it is interesting. So like you're saying, I wouldn't have got that. That's why I'm not God and I'm not the author of any of these books um, because I'm too, I am not filled with that power to write those scriptures and point in, uh, Jesus where he was shown and Hebrews has helped us do that. Um, I want to draw your attention as we close this one out, to uh, Hebrews. 
chapter 10, I thought. My notes are getting a little wonky. Oh, yeah. Hebrews chapter 10, chapter 13. This was that suffering verse when it said, who are these people? Who's this audience? And it said at the end of this uh, chapter, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I thought, man, that that is so encouraging where you can take a scripture like, yeah, I believe it'll be good to go through Hebrews here in the next three to four to five months. But I think you can take that. You can post it on your bathroom mirror. You can write it. You can tattoo it. <laughs> if you get a tattoo of that, I will pay for it. I promise. Um, but I, I encourage you to even like, hey, just alter it just a bit. And you can make it even more personal. So I'd like us to read this. And I'd like you to take this mantra with you. Something to illuminate all that we see in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. And then all that we see in scripture in this true of life. That Christ and faith in Christ allows us to plow in the future with excitement. It's not that it's going to be easy, but in that pain, in that suffering, in that pressure, we have the one who gives us a power to overcome and endure. It's so good. So let's read this together. But I am not who shrink back and is destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their soul. Hang on to it, right? I am not one of those who would shrink back. I am the type of person on my own who does want to shrink back from the crumminess of this world. But that's not who Christ has made me. And that's not who Christ has made you. So again, this isn't exhaustive in all the depths of Hebrews chapter 1. All that's in here. Like a robe on the angels. Um, even this last verse. Are they not all ministering spirits and out to serve? That's a lot. There's a lot right there. But we are going to magnify Christ as we go through this study together. Um, humble ourselves before God's word and look forward to it. We're not the kind that shrink back. We have Christ. We are more than overcomers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of it all that it gives us. It's your means by which your saints can persevere and not have faith stripped from us. The word preserves us. You preserve us through your word and through your spirit. And so we, we rejoice and we celebrate in your word, pointing to Christ, magnifying his glory, um, the glory coming from the Father and that glory that we can share in even now as we go about our Sunday afternoons or our, our tough March weeks or daylight savings time or presidential election years or world wars or famines or earthquakes. All of it is shallow compared to the depths and riches of the one who withholds the universe, upholds the universe in the power of his word. Thank you that that's our God. That is our inheritance through Christ. And we celebrate and praise you for it. Amen.